Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Guys, welcome to the show. This is Josh and I'm Paradox. And I'm Jimmy, and I'm a little sad that we're not on the golf course um, this week. Yes. Because... Do you remember when I was sharing my heartfelt issues with you, and you were just going, well, that's really stupid? Mm-mm. You know, I have no recollection of you ever you becoming vulnerable. Hmm. Now, I did see you cry when I beat you by nine strokes. Uh, so that's a little why I'm, I'm a little bummed that we're not on the course because I was really, I was, I was born for it. Uh, there are spiritual gifts, and then there are sporting gifts, of which I have the gift of golf. You have both. Mm-hmm. So today, we are going to be following up kind of our three-part series. Ish. Ish. Because we've never called it that, and they are probably True. confused now. But Sue Johnson's book, Hold Me Tight, and she is the grand dame of emotionally focused couples therapy. And she talks about the the seven conversations that people need to have in their in their marriages. And the first one revolves around recognizing the demon dialogues. Recognize when your communication pattern has gone sideways. And and she would say even your emotionality and your emotional connection has gone. Yes, because she's much not behavioral like Gottman. She's the heart of it. Yes. These conversations would reflect where you are emotionally. And so the first one she mentions is find the bad guy. You know, that if something happens that's upsetting, well, since we're personally perfect, it could not have been us. It's got to be the other person. And so when something bad goes wrong, we've got to find the bad guy. And that was our episode, Plank and Speck. Plank and Speck, yes. And so you, so even though we didn't call it, her first of the demon dialogues. We use Jesus's words instead. Thank you. Who is the son of the father. The grand grand dame. <laughs> the grandest dom dom you're ever going to. Yes. So, Did you just call Jesus a dom dom? No, I didn't. And so we have what she would call find the bad guy. And the second one we talked about a couple of weeks ago was the protest polka, where you have one partner that, again, this every time, and I love this because she phrases it, not that you did something to really upset me. It's that I've lost, emo- I feel unsafe emotionally now. Whatever happened, I'm feeling now abandoned and left alone. Therefore, one partner reaches out with criticism. Pursues. And the other person hits the dusty trail. Withdraws. And and leaves. And so that that thing of, but I'm the, trying to restore. The withdrawer calls the pursuer a dom-dom, and then he yes, leaves. Yes, basically. That's the original Greek. And so we have, those are the first two of the demon dialogues. And then this week we're talking about the third, and in some ways, one of the most dangerous and kind of the most depressing. And you do see it when you're working with couples and they come in and they're not mad. They're not yelling and screaming. They're not doing anything. Not engaged. 
Not even negatively. Not even negatively. Yep. They're polite. They are able to work the logistics of getting the kids to soccer all Just very pleasantly. Given up. Yeah. There's nothing there anymore. And this is true. This is worrisome really with any issue that we might see. Mm-hmm. You know, the folks that are really struggling with their suicidal thoughts, that's less worrisome than those that have just given up on them. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about them at all anymore. I remember, you know, years ago. I welcomed them. Yeah. When like, you know, working with an oppositional defiant teenager, you know, they're sitting in here with this adult, this all professional guy. And so they'll just like drop a meth bomb on you. Because if they would do that to a principal or a teacher or a parent, you know, whatever. So he's, and I remember thinking, that's not a negative. That actually means he cares what your response is going to be. That's actually sort of a very roundabout way of connecting. And so when you have couples that come in and they are just two dead fish, they're not really criticizing each other. There's nothing there. That is what she would call the the freeze and flee. When pretty much things have just shut down emotionally, and they're frozen in sort of this um, self-protection. I've tried everything I know to try. I've tried yelling. I've tried screaming. I've tried explaining. I've tried pursuing. The other person is going. And the and the 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 withdrawer from the last time we spoke, which tends to be the guy. You know, well, I've I've avoided. I've avoided. I've avoided trying to you know not have these conflicts. And so at first, the conflicts sort of go away. And so that partner's kind of. Hey, it's pretty awesome. Things things are going well until they find out that not only have the negative emotions shut down, the positive emotions have shut down. All emotions have shut down. One of the main markers of dysthymia or chronic depression is learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. 75, 80 years ago, making that up, but sometime a long time ago, they did these studies on rats and they threw these rats in a maze and they put, you know, a reward, let's say cheese on either ends of the exits, but they closed off the exits and these mice would run around, run around, run around. They think that they found the reward and yet they didn't have access to it. They couldn't Mm -hmm. have access to it. Mm -hmm. What they eventually did was just lay down. Mm Mm-hmm. They just gave up. They learned this sense of helplessness and hopelessness, and so they just gave up. And in a right. lot of ways, this is kind of chronic depression for marriage. Mm-hmm. It's this learned helplessness that you said this, no matter how hard I try, mm-hmm. it's not going to get better, so why try anymore? Yes, which explains on the 18th green why you were in the fetal position. You just crawled up in a little ball, and I think really at that point the, the hopelessness of ever being better of ever coming close to uh, you're, you're, even you, even uh, challenging me. You're such a dum-dum. In any way. So it, that's, that's part of it. It's this, and I love the equating it with depression because it's a hopelessness. I've tried everything I know to do. And by convincing, by rebuking, by correcting, and the other spouse is going, I've done all I can do to hold this thing together by not screaming back. Yeah. You know, I've looked over so many offenses. I've done everything. There's now nothing left to do. It's I've, you know, I've, I've, I've played every club in my bag and nothing has worked. This hopelessness, you know, in, in attachment theory, the emotional basic attachments that you see in little babies with their parents and, and, and loving spouses, these attachment responses like prolonged gazing, physical caressing, 
you know, these couples see these these basic cues. You mentioned gazing. So I actually am like level one, I forget what they said, certified or trained in emotionally focused couples therapy. Oh, I thought there's, it was going to be gazing therapy. <laughs> there's four, I think, levels of training, and I've just gone through the first. Anyway, they were talking about the importance of if you're trying to work with a couple and doing EFT, one of the most powerful things you can do is have them make eye contact. Mm-hmm. And to illustrate how intimate that was, they made a stare into somebody else's eyes for three minutes. And you couldn't do it? Well, it was a, it was another, it was a woman. Oh. And I don't know if you've ever just stared into another woman's eyes that's not your wife. For three minutes? For three minutes. It's pretty awkward. <laughs> it was one of the most terrible experiences I've had. As and an it's adult. awkward because it's intimate. It's pretty intimate. Yeah. Which is why, you know, a lot of times couples therapists will say, no, turn around and look at each other. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, when there's, we're doing so much work now with sexual addiction, with partners that have been violated. And so often you will hear from the partner, I think I could come close to forgiving whatever the sexual acting out was. What I can't forgive is, and they'll always, it's this phrase, he looked me in the eye and lied. Because that is that all the way back to infancy, that right brain to right brain, the mother looking down to the baby with a wet diaper, assuring them that things are going to be okay, even though you're uncomfortable. That So it goes all the way back to infancy, that attachment. And someone used that attachment, that eye contact, as like a Trojan horse to be led in and then to lie. That's what's so, so disturbing. And these couples that are now in the freeze and flee, they are there. That's gone. Those gazes don't happen. In fact, they avoid eye contact. You see that in, in these sessions as well. They can't look at each other. And so they have this, they have a sense of hopelessness, these basic attachment cues that we all have. First, you know, they're muted. First, they're, uh, they're kind of sporadic. And then they become just non-existent. They don't happen anymore. And so with Johnson, you know, her big deal is, and and this is true of, of all marital conflict that I think that we've touched on a lot, but when there is a, when there's a break in the relationship in this uh, emotional connection, especially for guys, it seems absolutely counterintuitive and against your best interest, but you move toward your spouse. In the break in connection, you move toward the break in connection. You don't withdraw even more. And so Sue Johnson recommends uh, some different things to do or the, basically the conversations to have when you recognize that you might be in this demon dialogue. And again, we've got Gottman, who a lot of people are very familiar with. This equates to stonewalling, flooding, where you're just so overcome, there's just too much coming at you. And so you shut down and then you stonewall, which yeah, I guess sort of in Gottman's terms is you just give up. Uh, there's nothing else that I can say or do. So Johnson says, first off, you have to be able to, to recognize that's where you are, that that's what's happening, is that you're beginning to freeze and flee. One thing that, that she recommends is, can you share with your spouse a cue that begins the distancing process. And this is so difficult to do without judging. 
without, well, when you do this, well, when, you know, you're the reason why this happens because you do this. And when you do this and to have any kind of a conversation, it's got to be non-judgmental. It's got to be able to just, I'm, I'm, we're, we're talking about a problem and I'm honestly, and man, it's something. When you see these couples in your office and they, they can't, they can't, they just can't. They can't talk about the relationship. They can't talk about their, what's going on in the relationship without overtly criticizing the other or covertly criticizing. They just can't do it. It is so ingrained in them that it's the other person's fault. But if you can say, well, you know, when this happens, that's what sparks the distancing. And then she says to, you know, yourself, what can you tell your, you know, what do you tell yourself once you've begun to emotionally withdraw to justify the separation? So what is it that you're telling yourself that keeps you separated? Well, she doesn't want to hear from me or he refuses to change or whatever it is. What is it that you're able, that you're telling yourself that makes you say, nope, I'm not going to reach out. I'm going to remain separated. A couple other things real quick and then I'll, I'll hand it over. She says, you know, here are some, and, and I would really recommend you guys to kind of pause this and write these things down. Yeah, so let me summarize. First step is just acknowledging when it happens. Realizing it's happening. And two, what are the things you're telling yourself that's creating it Keeps happening? you. Yeah. And what are the cue, what hap- what's the cue that starts this process? And she says, here are some, here are some things that you can actually say when blank, when this happens, I don't feel safely connected to you. So these are things that you, after acknowledging yeah. and after understanding your triggers, these are things that to problem solve it, you can discuss with yes. your spouse. It's a conversation to have. And it's not accusatory. It's when this happens, I, I love that. I love her phrasing. I don't feel safely connected to you when this happens. This is like we're partners, we're, we're side by side. But when this happens, all of a sudden, I don't think we're side by side anymore. So when blank... I don't feel safely connected to you. Then I tend to blank. I move this way in our dance to try and cope with difficult feelings and try to find a way to change the conflict. So I tend to blank. This is what I tend to do. I tend to shut up and not say a word or whatever. So be a second thing you'd say. Yeah. So uh, quote: I tend to. I tend to blank. I move this way in our dance to try to, and this is what she says, in order to cope with difficult feelings. When I don't know how to handle these feelings, I do this because I'm trying to find a way around this conflict. And then she says, I do it in the hopes that blank. And as this pattern keeps going, I feel blank. This is a great conversation. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you're a horrible person. I'm not saying you're just, you know, the, this, this evil horrible human being. No one could stay married to such a horrible person. I'm just saying when this goes on and I wake up the next day and there's still no of these trial balloons to try to reconcile, I feel blank. And then two more things. The more I blank, the more you blank. We're both trapped in this pain and this isolation. It seems like the more I blank, the more you blank. And then lastly, maybe we can warn each other when this starts, when we feel this deadening and this distancing. You know, you can use a safe phrase like, I feel the distancing or whatever you want to do. Seeing the dance, seeing that this is happening is the first step out of this disconnection. So she offered up a really a kind of almost an outline of a conversation to have. 
But the deal is, is to have the conversation. I know it's uncomfortable and I know you're afraid to have it, but I would be much, much, much more afraid of someone that someone else raising my kids. I think that would that would scare me more than having this conversation. So Sue Johnson, hold me tight. The flea and freeze and flee conversation. Yeah, and we'll put that in our show notes. We'll find a website with that those statements and that verbiage so that you can go to it and use it. But yeah, it's like what's the alternative? You know, the alternative is separation or divorced or being roommates. And I feel like the couples that I work with feel like divorce is almost an easier option. Divorce is always the most difficult option. No one that's divorced would ever say that. Correct. It's the people that haven't been. Mm -hmm. And it's like divorce always takes so much more work than actually working through it. And so it's 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 like, man, this is going to be a tough conversation. I don't want to. Well, I get it. But put your big boy and girl pants on and have it because this is going to cause you less distress, this conversation, than not having it Mm -hmm. would. And I love Gary, Gary Thomas, you know, the author of The Sacred Marriage. And, you know, he said, we think that that there's this person out there that is perfect for us and is our soulmate and is our twin flame. And we're going to find because obviously this 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 horrible human being that I'm married to now, uh, I'm going to find this wonderful person. And he says, well, you're going to find another flawed person. And so they're going to make you mad, too. The only issue is they're going to make you mad and disappoint you, and they're going to hate your children. So why is it that you would want to do it? Stick with the one that you have now. At least they love your kids. It's a myth that you're going to go find someone that is that is not going to irritate you, that is not going to disappoint you, because we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. We happen to find spouses that don't irritate and that are perfect. Oh, but yes. Again, Present company else. excluded. Yeah. Yes. Um, so Jimbo's solutions are Susan's solutions, and so he didn't really put a lot of work into today's Correct. session. But my solutions, on the other hand, and potentially there's just one or two, my solution is you have to realize you're the problem within your marriage. We've said this countless times, but to unfreeze and to unflee, there has to be, you have to approach the situation with humility. And understand it, it almost goes back to the original kind of plank and speck conversation. You have to realize the plank in your own eye. I get it. Your spouse has hurt you, and she or he is either pursuing inappropriately or they're withdrawing inappropriately. I get it. And there's time to discuss those things, but you have to come to the table and first acknowledge your plank. And that's going to soften your spouse in huge ways to, to, to be able to then hopefully allow the conversation to move forward. So you have to acknowledge you're the problem and approach the situation with humility as well as repentance. Repentance is the idea that you're doing an about-face and trying to do it differently than before. And so you can it, you can acknowledge humbly your issues to your spouse, and that is going to grease the wheel in a positive direction, but repentance, actually going a step further and actually trying to do better, is a huge thing and would show your, your spouse a ton of love and respect to hopefully have the conversation go better as well. So acknowledging you're the problem, approaching it with humility as well as with repentance. And the last thing I'd say, this is a this freeze and flee along with gotten gotten stonewalling jimmy mentioned that before this is a big deal and and this is more than just we're fighting a little bit 
I would encourage you to seek counsel if you if you're at that level. If you're at that level, yeah. and that's not necessarily counsel from a counselor, but a pastor or a mentor couples, just something. This is probably not going to get unstuck with just you two working on it. And so finding some sort of outside counsel can be a huge thing here and absolutely needed if you're stuck in this type of rut yeah, and demon absolutely. dialogue. If you want more information, you got anything else, Jimbo? Well, just... I was thinking, you know, when you said you approach it humbly, sort of like you do with me in golf. You you approach you playing with me. more information about this episode, it's paradoxpodcast.com. Recognize us on our socials there. The You'll find this, this episode as well inability. as any other episode that we've released already. We appreciate you guys for listening. We hope you review and you share. Take See care. Ya. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox Evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com.